Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. I'm the precocious wizard, Holden McNeely. And I'm the loud, angry bruiser, Jake Young. And this week, we've got hot off the presses for you... Thwap, thwap. I like girls, but also I hate crime. Oh my god, my parents are dead. Or there may be spies. It's kind of a mystery. Quit killing off all the women I love. Uh, Flash Thompson, stop punching my dick hole. Oh my god, I'm stuck under all this uh, machinery. The Green Goblin's my friend's dad? This is the height of drama in the 1960s. Sinister Six, more like Sinister Dicks, am I right? <laughs> no, you want me to leave? Is this a family reunion that I'm ruining? Yes, I will leave now. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Today's episode's on Spider-Man Part 1, because we know ahead of time this is going to be a multi-party, because you can't talk about freaking Spider-Man unless uh, you plan to do it for a whole live-long day. You know what I'm saying? It goes back too far. I was hitting up Jake. Jake was like, how far? I was like, hey, Jake, how far should we go? And you were like, let's get up to, what was it, the Clone Wars? In the like Clone Saga. The I- mid to late 90s. And I had to write him back a day later and be like, I have five pages and I'm not out of the 80s, so we need to slow our roll. It's a lot going on here. And Jake, I'll tell you what. It's, it takes a lot of responsibility, all of this work. Oh, my God. <laughs> are, you, are we doing this? Are we doing this? Because, first of all, this is, like, number one. This is number one thing we got to get out of the way because as soon as I learned this, it pissed me off. What? The quote from Amazing Fantasy number 15 mm-hmm. is, uh, And a lean, silent figure slowly fades into the gathering darkness, aware at last that in this world, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. Yeah, then they just simplified it for the kids. With great power comes great responsibility. There must also come great responsibility. With a you? No. Okay, cool. Although I'm sure, sure Stan Lee definitely <laughs> meant it that way. Peter Parker is an orphan in Queens who lives with his Aunt May goddamn Uncle Ben after his parents were killed in a horrifying plane crash. Now, people don't realize this about this character, and so we're just going to say it right away, okay? There were no children in comic books at this time. There were. There were just the sidekicks. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm just uh, oh. making a broad, horrible statement that's not true. But there was never a kid that was in a main character role, and also, you had heroes like Superman, um, even like Batman, who sort of like they were flawed, but they weren't flawed in the ways that um, 
we understood ourselves in the day-to-day and certainly that the youth mm-hmm. uh, were dealing with in the day-to-day. So this really was a very special uh, moment in comic books history. And what Spider-Man really did as a, just a broad stroke is really brought a character that kids could relate with. Uh, a kid who, you know, is, is dealing with, uh, you know, uh, his his school woes and and you know the girl he likes and you know um, identity crises and things like that, that that you know actually spoke to the youth in a real actual uh, way that wasn't just kind of like I look up to this hero because he's mm. so great or she's so great and perfect and strong and everything I want to be, but this was like oh this is like what I would be dealing with if I were a superhero. And I think that that was such a huge moment and movement for for comic books. There's uh, the early years of Spider-Man are very interesting because uh, there's a lot of incredible creators involved. Yes. And uh, the big two. So many creators involved, (laughs) by the way. Uh, The big two uh, are Stanley, who we covered in a lovely episode. Yes. Who was uh, uh, a kind of a city kid. Uh, also the, you know, child of immigrants who like kind of hustled his way and kind of took a hold of like the showbiz aspect of comic books. He was a salesman. Yes. And, uh, Steve Ditko. Steve Who himself, Ditko. uh, a, ch- a, a child of immigrants, but he grew up in a rural mining town in Pennsylvania. Yes. Johnstown, Pennsylvania. He was born on November 2nd, 1927. Son of first generation Slovak Americans. Um, and his father was actually an artist. Yeah, he had artistic talents. But yes, he worked at a steel mill. Mm-hmm. And um, he was in around around the 40s. Um, uh, Ditko becomes obsessed with Batman comics, as well as The Spirit by Will Eisner. And uh, he's enlisted in the U.S army after high school in 1945 but after he's discharged he goes to the uh, which I what a, this is interesting to me that this even existed in 1945 the cartoonists and illustrators school in NYC yeah um, which is an interesting institution he studied commercial un- illustration was like a normal ass job that's the thing and you notice a lot of these cartoonists and comic book artists all I like we in our Bill Watterson episode they all end up taking like an ad job right out of college usually and kind of get uh, you know, doing cartoons and comics and stuff on the side. He studies at this school under the Batman artist, Jerry Robinson, um, who found the student to be a very hard worker who really focused on his drawing, who could work well with other writers as well as write his own stories and create his own characters. Jerry Robinson is uh, one of his many accolades is he basically created the Joker. Ah, Uh, he was like a young guy working with Bob Kane. He was part of that along with Bill Finger was, the uh, yeah. So if you were go- if you're going to have someone to teach you about the art of visual storytelling, uh, Jerry Robinson teaching a young Steve Ditko is kind of just like mythical meeting of minds. And he has connections all over the place because he's got he had Stan Lee visit the class, and that was probably the first time he ever saw Ditko's work, which is pretty amazing. Like back in school. So in 1953, he begins his professional career. He uh, he draw- draws a sci-fi story called Stretching Things, written by. Bruce Hamilton uh, and it's sold in Fantastic Fears number five I love all the names of these things by the way you've got 
Fantastic Fears. And then later, um, when he gets to Marvel Comics, which is Atlas Comics at the time, in the 1950s, he starts contributing to, to comics like Strange Tales and Amazing Adventures and Strange Worlds and Tales of Suspense and Tales to <laughs> Astonish. Like, nothing has its own... Uh, care like like leading character yet it's all just these different uh horror <laughs> stories and sci-fi stories and crazy stories with crazy things because this is like we're we're getting into superheroes obviously batman's been around for a while and these other superheroes we're going from the silver age to the marvel age exactly exactly but it's not like everything's a superhero like it becomes later mm-hmm. on um so yeah he he uh he ends up uh, what he he works for uh, big timers around this time like Jack Kirby, Mort Meskin, um, and then uh, uh, works for Charlton Comics. But he had to actually take a hiatus uh, with about with, uh, with tuberculosis. And when uh, he, the reason for this is because uh, tuberculosis is a disease you get when you're broke as shit living in a moldy apartment <laughs> in New York City. Yes. Something that uh, everyone in this room is intimately familiar yes, with. Yes, absolutely. And uh, this is, is going to be a recurring theme of Steve Ditko's life is just being in a shitty apartment, but never leaving New York City. Never, ever leaving New York City. Um, the guy is 89 right now. He's still, still alive. He's still alive. He's uh, later. Uh, he later. Let me double check that before I just so. No, he is. He's totally okay. still alive. He's okay. super still alive. I know that. I know that. I know 89 that. Eighty-nine years old. Yes. Son of a bitch. Yep. There you go. So there you go. You could hunt him down. You could get him. No, you, no, you can't. He is <laughs> incredibly uh, uh, publicity averse. Really? He refuses to have his photograph taken. Interesting. Like for for decades. Do you think he's like a demon? I don't know. I've never seen a photo of the guy taken after 1940. Fuck. Ooh, crazy. Ooh. We could be like little boy detectives, Jake, and we'll go find him. It'll be super fun. He has fun. a Midtown office. You can find him. He's got a Midtown office? Yeah. You can Let's see. jump in and take a picture of him. I bet he'll turn he'll, into some demon. No, he'll like very curtly look us in the eye with his like old man intensity and we'll just like understand the gravity of why we shouldn't bother this World War II veteran. <laughs> uh, another thing I love about his story is he lived with fetish artist Eric Stanton. Did you know this? They shared an apartment. I'm unfamiliar with fetish artist Eric I, I was uh, too. Super please, Producer Megan, Jake. can you please bring up some Do work it. by fetish artist, what was his name? Eric Stanton. Eric Stanton. He is fascinating. Um, and uh, I, I was looking at these pictures as well. Wowie Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of bondage and um, a lot of like men being forced to like... Uh, do stuff for leather clad women and it's real racy stuff yeah. it's real racy stuff and they live together and apparently they like helped each other with each other's work so this dirty fetish artist <laughs> definitely helped to ink and and design some spider-man stuff which is kind of incredible to me and it makes a lot of sense because just like wonder woman crossover with the bonded stuff and you've got spider-man and he wraps everybody up in their webs and stuff and i think that there's a connection there and i think that all comic books are like filthy dirty fetish porn at the end of the day jake i'm done that's it i'm out you do the rest of the episode i mean you're not wrong like you're not the first person to be like, hey, I wonder if all these superheroes were just for real horny people. Dirty, filthy, stinky, horny, lovely, wonderful people. But so. uh, if I can uh, 
if I, I really want to get into Steve Ditko's uh, kind of mindscape because I feel like Spider-Man wouldn't be what he is without it. So we have to stop talking about um, Eric, Eric, fetish artist Eric Stanton now? Listen, I would love to continue talking about Eric Stanton and his incredibly hourglass-shaped lady wrestling. <laughs> Just look at that rump. Look at that. It is wild. Forty-nine spank material. Woo, there's so much, dude. It just a Google image search just goes on for days. Hold and on. Days how does it feel days. to know that this is what our grandparents spanked it to? I know, right? <laughs> These crazy drawings. Look at that one. That's a dirty oh one. God. She's got a whole thing up in her of. Uh, um, <laughs> Her vagina. All right, let's... Uh, Relicker, Stanton, that's a real capital <laughs> vagina you got wow, going there. Wow, you really tied up that guy and you're really beating life out of him. I haven't seen a bean like that since the Kaiser, 1922. <laughs> Zip-a-doo, those nipples are sharper than my old <laughs> knife set. <laughs> hey, how about later we go to the Victrola shop and pick up some of those new tunes? <laughs> I see Megan writing down time steps. Don't cu- cut it. Don't cut it. We're keeping this in. All right, enough about fetish artist Eric Stanton. Yes, let's talk about the mind. Hey, fella, you want to hear my opinion about black people? I <laughs> no. bet it's very good. No, 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 no. <laughs> I want to go back to the present. Jake, let us come back to the present. Uh, Scary back there. So uh, when you think of classic Marvel artwork, you think of Jack Kirby. And Jack Kirby has these brawny, like stocky, just bigger than life, you know, the thing. And... Uh, these, these characters that will just like knock down a wall and just like do all these incredibly, you know, these are strong characters that kind of burst out of the page. Yes. Uh, Ditko's characters all look like they are persistently on the verge of having a panic attack. Yeah. If you look at the original Amazing Fantasy uh, story, like uh, just just everyone is so anxious by like Peter Parker is real thin and just scared of everything by the end. You know, I mean, because his uncle got super murdered, but it's just all <laughs> tears and like crying and like and 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 melodrama. And he's like a little guy that, that mm. is smart and, and uh, nimble, you know, and, and I feel like people are, are more likely to be like. Oh, I could like be that guy climbing up that wall than they would be like, um, you know, oh, I could be that like giant muscled man, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> the 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 stories in these early comics have a like are very, very much about money. Like yeah. it is key to Spider-Man's arc that uh, when Uncle Ben died, his family lost its breadwinner and he has to work his he has to like earn money which is why he does the wrestling and stuff as spider-man yeah yeah right he has to earn money he has to not um back down on his vow to prevent crimes like the kind that took his uncle and he has to still like be in school and that involves like trying to be popular and get a date and like keep his grades up because back before the fucking liberals got involved school built character okay we'll get into that too (laughs) now i'm thinking at the time i can only think of batman right now maybe superman superman did come from like a a kind of a poorish like farmer sort of situation but he was always kind of above everything as he was an alien he could kind of do whatever he wanted and batman was like this millionaire i mean who else was on the scene like no one was really broke yeah was anybody broke but i mean why would you in your funny books in your fantasy power fantasies uh why would you want to read about a guy who can't pay the electric bill yeah but if you if that's your world, it's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And the uh, disconnect between like Peter Parker constantly crying, constantly worried, uh, and Spider Man, you know, just dynamically like just overpowering enemies was, you know, it's kind of the the build and release of any angry nerd. 
Yes, yes. Um, and these initial issues, I think... Uh, oh, well, okay, okay, so... You want to take it back to the, the inception of the idea? In 1962, Stan Lee is looking for a new super idea. He has the Fantastic Four. Everybody loves it. Nobody can get enough of it. They all go, oh, more Fantastic Four. Oh, Stan Lee, please, more Fantastic Four. Stan Lee... I, sh- I, I, I uh, dressed up in a costume in a disguise and I snuck in the bathroom to scream at you for more Fantastic Four. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, you know, I didn't even, I haven't taken a single improv class in my life, Jake. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. But anyways, uh, uh, he, he needs something new, something different from that, something against the grain. And he's seeing that there is a surge in teenage demand for comic books and the desire to create a character with whom they could identify. I'm going to also preface everything that I refer to as what Stan Lee said as who knows go back and listen to the stanley episode yeah. he, he said a lot of things in a lot of interviews and well, you never quite know the the, the real story um and uh unlike i mean there's been a lot of stuff that has gone down uh between stanley and other creators sometimes they're getting along sometimes they don't but ditko had always always disputed uh the creatorship title yeah. with stanley Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, published like this really ranty, uh, like self-published comic in 1999 called Tisk Tisk, mm. where he lays into how like uh, you know yeah Stan Lee was like I don't know maybe a spider guy or something, right. whereas the costume design, the acting of the characters, like right. the actual fleshing out like and all a lot that yeah. yeah and a lot of the plot lines, even Stan Lee will admit that the later plot lines in this initial run was basically just kind of uh, Ditko going off on his own and Stanley just kind of like jumping in and like, you know, filling out some word balloons. Giving his consent yeah. or, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. Well, I mean, and, and Stanley even says in um, a lot of interviews and things that I've read, you know, he's like, all of my ideas start off with a name, you know, which is the funniest yeah. way to like come up with an idea. Just like I come up with a name and then I come up with like the rest or and I think in, in a lot of situations and it seems like in this situation, Stan Lee comes up with a name and then turns to the guy next to him and says, here's a great na- uh, name for a character. What do you got? You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems well, like there's a little bit of that going on. In 1999, uh, Stan Lee, I don't know whether the ranty uh, self-published comic Tisk Tisk or this letter came out first, but uh, Stan Lee actually wrote, uh, <clears throat> to whom it may concern, I would like to go on record with the following statement. I have always considered Steve Ditko to be Spider-Man's co-creator. When I first told Steve my idea for a shy teenage high school science student who'd be bitten by a radioactive spider, thus gaining the ability to stick to walls and shoot webs, Steve took it to a duck to like a duck to water. Well, he's just saying that then he's Stanley and that right there is saying that he came up with everything. Uh Steve's illustrated version of Peter Parker slash Spider-Man and his coterie of supporting characters was more compelling and dramatic than I had dared hoped it would be. From his very first panel, Steve created and established the perfect mood and gestalt for Spider-Man. Also, it goes without saying that Steve's costume design was an actual masterpiece of imagination. Thanks to Steve Ditko, Spidey's costume had become one of the world's most recognizable visual icons. What's funny is um, uh, even fetish artist Eric Stanton himself says... Fetish artist Eric Stanton? (laughs) He said... And he is quoted to say, I think I added the business about the webs coming out of his hands. <laughs> See what he's trying to take a little credit. Well, that's interesting because there's actually um, there's so there's actually a golden age character called like Queen Spider or Ooh, Madam Spider. Is she filthy? Uh, she's like a little fetishy. Okay. Not to call back to fetish, fetish artist Eric Stan. 
Um, <laughs> Can but, we do an episode on him? Yeah, uh, but there were a few. <laughs> there was another pulp character, uh, not Madam Spider, like Queen Spider. Um, but she also shot webs and used it to like swing on stuff. Yeah, Spider Queen. There we go. You can see she's like actually using wrist-based web uh, shooters. Yeah. Um, Interesting. There was another character called like the tarantula who had like a gun that fired like a small like steel string that he used to like attack people. Oh, and this is before Spider-Man. Way, way, way before. Okay, cool. And speaking of which, um, you know, we have to bring up the uh, 1930s pulp, The Spider, which uh, has been stated by Lee as a giant influence. The pulp fiction. It's just a knockoff of The Shadow. Right. Um, It's by Harry Steger and Popular Publications. It's about a millionaire playboy, Richard Wentworth, so obviously very different from the get-go. Served in World War I, lives in New York City. Who knows that what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Shadow knows! Mm. Um, Also referred to as the Night of Darkness, which I thought was pretty amazing because, you know. The yeah. whole Batman thing. He wore a top hat and a domino mask and a cape and a suit. He it seems like he wasn't super similar, um, besides just being called the Spider, but still uh, definitely referenced as a as a uh, a big uh, uh, thing. So um, they go to well. First of all, Jack Kirby gets a shot at it, mm-hmm. and um, Jack Kirby's costume isn't really exciting. Uh, kind of just looks like a Captain America knockoff. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so oh, and he's obsessed with the idea that Spider-Man uses a web pistol. That's like that's that was Jack Kirby's big idea that he shoots webs out of just like a gun. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, <laughs> kind of. Well, I mean, I just because fresh in my mind, like the Mega Man cover with yeah, the yeah. stupid guy. <laughs> With a stupid gun. Uh, but yeah, um, Ditko says about his initial drawings, one of the first things I did was to work up a costume, a vital visual part of the character. I had to know how he looked before I did any breakdowns. For example, a clinging power so he wouldn't have hard shoes or boots, a hidden wrist shooter versus a web gun and holster, etc. I wasn't sure Stan would like the idea of covering the character's face, but I did it because it hid an obviously boyish face. It would also add mystery to the character. Uh, Stan Lee thought the name up. I did costume, web gimmick on wrist, and spider signal is what uh, Ditko says. Yeah. No, Spider-Man's costume is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it, uh, even uh, even Kirby's design was the classic, like, diaper with the belt on it that, you know, Superman and, you know, so many other classic characters had. Uh, that Spider-Man's costume kind of was just an all-encompassing, I don't know, spandex nightmare. Yeah. And the fact that he legit like drew Spider, you know Peter Parker as a child. Like you couldn't just have the handsome face poking out of right. the cowl like every other superhero. So, and this is something that like a lot like Stan Lee and like any other Marvel employee does to like sound super woke and cool. Is they're like, because you see when she's with Spider Man, it doesn't matter if he's black or Latino or uh, one of those Indian kids. I don't know what you call them these days. <laughs> Anybody could be behind the mask. You put on a Spider-Man costume and you are Spider-Man. But yes, yes, it's definitely a white guy, right? (laughs) Um, Also, I have this tidbit right here about the Kirby part of this whole thing. Jack, uh, Lee Lee apparently goes to Jack Kirby. Um, This must be from Jack Kirby himself. Um, And Kirby tells Stan Lee about an unpublished character on which he had collaborated with Joe Simon in the 1950s in which an orphaned boy living with an old couple finds a magic ring that granted him superhuman powers. Lee and Kirby immediately sat down the story and and conference it. So 
Um, so now we have the whole part where Lee was like, I came up with the orphan child and the magic ring. Apparently that's all Kirby. So I don't even know what the hell that, like, I don't even, it's so, it just seems like so aspect. I will say this though. I will, let me say this just to, just to clear the record on all of this. I swear to God, I've had, so, I'm, I'm in a sketch comedy group called Murder Fist. I swear to God, I've have I've had arguments with my sketch members about who came up with what sketch, Absolutely. who came up with the idea. It gets really foggy, and it, it's funny. And I'm I'm almost certain I was wrong in like half of them, and that the other person was the one who came up with the sketch. But but it's weird when you so think, wait, who came up with the monkey cop sketch? That's really <laughs> funny that I've been watching on a loop. I think I think that was Henry and I, but I think okay. Ed would probably scream at me because he probably was in there. I don't know if it's a monkey. It was probably Ed. I mean, that's the thing, right? <laughs> Banana rings? That sounds like Ed. So I couldn't even tell you, man. I don't. I don't want to get uh, pitchforked. Is it? Lord knows it was. You know, Kellen and John who came up with the damn idea. I. It's. That's what's so crazy about all this stuff. I swear, there's like a weird. It's. It, there's got to be a name for it, an actual name for it. You will become convinced that you were the person that came up with X or Y or Z idea back when you were collaborating with people, and it causes a lot of problems. And and I think that a lot of people. People are. I mean, that was remembering the fish episode of wrong. South Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, moving moving right along, they take all of this Spider Man's goodness over to Marvel publisher Martin Goodman, who initially hated it. <laughs> that was an eleven color reference. I, I I was more of a Mad TV child. Oh, was it Mad? Oh, you were, really? Mad TV's trash. They had little spiders and spy cartoons. Oh. That was garbage. Lowered expectations. They would just repeat the same character over and over again. Yeah, they did. It was really annoying. Hey, look like a man. We're never doing an episode <laughs> on Mad TV. We're never doing one. All right. Um, the man, the legend, Bobby Lee. <laughs> so this is another Spike Lee recollection. Martin said to me, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> He said, he said, first of all, you can't call a hero Spider-Man. People hate spiders. I just love that this is like such a, this is such Imagine a the, like, executive how thick cigar smoke. Was. Yeah, right. This is such an, I need to read it like the guy. He must be the basis for, for J. J. Jonah Jameson, Jameson. right? Uh, uh, first of all, you can't call a hero, uh, you can't call a hero Spider-Man. People hate spiders. Next, you can't make him a teenager. Teenagers can only be psychics. And you say, you want him to have problems? Stan, he's a superhero. Superheroes don't have problems. Problems. Now, now get out of my office. I got a jacket to fetish artist Eric Stanton. Yeah. <laughs> it's because everything, the three things he objected to are the three things that make this yeah, successful yeah. and interesting. That's great. So he, they argue, they argue, they argue. And according to some, so Spider-Man makes it into Amazing Fantasy number 15 for one single issue. It, it, Lee claims they even snuck him onto the cover of that comic. Um, I didn't find anything about that. uh, But but Lee claims a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's... it's, uh, But either way, Spider-Man gets into Amazing Fantasy uh, number 15 after just like begging and pleading or whatever it is. It's a sci-fi and supernatural anthology series. Um, And uh, it was actually original Amazing uh, Amazing Adult Fantasy, uh, which is later named to Amazing Fantasy. And it sells really, really well. Like really well. 
I mean, yeah, it's it's iconic. The that cover is, you know, with Spider-Man swinging into the frame, the scared ass goon that's just like, oh, oh, jeez, oh crap, oh crap! I just wanted a purse. Now there's a spider guy. Ah, oh, ah, oh, no, ah, oh, he feels like a teenager. <laughs> what is this character? Uh, the, I'm sorry. Let me. Uh, this guy. <laughs> oh, the guy grabbing. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't seem to have a firm grip on me. Why what is, is he? he grab- is he grabbing me by my belt? Yeah, I'm just. He's barely. T- well, I guess his uh, hands would hold him up better, mm-hmm. right? And uh, of course, uh, Spider-Man's opening line on the cover is, "Though the world may mock Peter Parker, the timid teenager, it will soon marvel at the awesome might of Spider-Man." Which sounds like a school shooter's uh, last words. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But whatever. Whatever, though. Also, and the, I want, now I want to hear a story about how the guy in the cover is like, did you just say your name is Peter Parker? <laughs> yeah, oh, I got to go look that Please guy take up. a firmer grip on me. I feel like I'm slipping. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, 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 the darn thing sells well. Sells mm-hmm. really well. So well that The Amazing Spider-Man begins publication as its own title, uh, monthly comic, in 1963 and that is running up till today right it takes a little Amazing hiatus spider-man still running yeah yeah and uh we get all of the I, one of the shocking things about i think comic book big comic book runs in general and definitely with spider-man is like all of these like iconic villains are all introduced within the first like 10 issues mm-hmm. it is like hit villain after hit villain like uh do you have the same list i do yeah. Okay. Uh, so ho- hopefully I give them all correctly. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, we've got Dr. Octopus first appearing in uh, Amazing Spider-Man number three, mm-hmm. July 1963. Um, then we have Sandman is number four. The Lizard is in number six. Electro is in number nine. Green Goblin is in number 14. So Are you going to skip over Mysterio? When is Mysterio? He's number 13. He's my favorite. Mis- He's got fishbowl and eyes on his Mr. Cape. Mysterio is my favorite ever villain. He's the best. He, He's I love so it. dumb. He's so dumb, and I love him for it. I named my, I wrote a, a one-act play called The First Appearance of Mysterio. And it was like a, a play about, it was like a relationship play, but Mysterio as a character was the like underlying symbol, metaphor of the whole thing. That um, is the most Holden sentence I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, it was all this thing about how he's all just like smoke and mirrors, but he's not like a real good villain and it had to do with like the relationship and like what their, their relationship problems. It's also amazing. Cause like once you introduce Mysterio, literally anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause he can just make it. And then, it, and also everything's bullshit at the exact same time when you introduce him. Um, so yeah, uh, I, this is the quote I have about Stanley thinking of a name first. And it's in terms of Dr. Octopus. He said, usually in creating a villain, the first thing I would think of was a name. And then I would try to think of, well, now that I've got the name, who's the character going to be and what will he do? For some reason, I thought of an octopus. I thought, I want to call somebody octopus. And I don't want him to have it. First of all, I just love that idea. I just like, I would really like to just turn to a man next to me and say, you're an octopus. <laughs> so I decided to make it a villain. And I want him to have a couple of extra arms just for fun. And, but I had to figure out how to do that. So um, uh, that was his brilliant. Every, t- every time he like describes, it's always like the most milk and potatoes. Like, no, it's, I mean, it's such like a, it's such a rudimentary thing to be like, all right, spider, six arms. What's, what's more, what's even better than a spider? Octopus. Eight arms. They're natural enemies. <laughs> <laughs> Craven the Hunter, number 15. Scorpion, 
Numero Twinto. Oh my God, Scorpion's a fucking dumbass. And we've got um, and I have to bring up. So we, I guess I'll I'll bring it up now. Um, we usually like to talk about our personal experience with these entities and everything like that. I remember the first time I got into Spider Man. It was one of the first things I got into. I think the first comic book I ever got into was Ghost. Okay, okay, super producer Meg. I know spiders have eight legs. <laughs> Regular insects have six legs. You're the one going to be cutting this out of the episode. So who's <laughs> laughing? I am perfect forever and no one will ever know. Well, now that we're done hearing all those racist things that Jake just said, let's move on to the next thing. Which <laughs> yes, is- I know. Spiders and insects aren't the same thing. <laughs> It's just more more gold you're going to have to cut <laughs> to maintain my perfect PR image as the guy who's never wrong. <laughs> when I was a young, can you please respect my childhood memory, Jake, please? Yeah, sure, of course. There was no outburst at all. When I was young, I was, first of all, fantastic. I was just a great kid, right? You got to mm-hmm. love me. Everything about me you would have loved. Yeah. Oh, can I say this? From the moment I met you, first thought in my head. That was a good little boy. <laughs> Thank you so much. I wish you were my Santa. I wish you could be my mall Santa. We'll figure it out. We'll talk about it for this Christmas. Either way, I um, <laughs> either way, I uh, uh, I remember I first would just pick stuff based off the cover, right? So I remember grabbing Ghost Rider because he was immediately cool looking to me. I remember immediately, like, because it was weird too how I got into comics. There was like a little candy shop with some comic books. Like I think it was um near my dad's like office and I would stop by there like on the way if I had to like go with my dad to work that day which happened every now and again and there was a little comic uh, stand just one of those little spinny racks racks. yeah Yeah, those little shitty racks so these were all like terrible like kind of cheap and whatever comics I remember I got some Ghost Rider I got into Punisher and I remember Spider-Man I got it was like issue number one of this uh, six part run of the Sinister Six and I fucking loved it. I just loved that there was this like band of villains that like worked together and they were all really interesting and they were all introduced to me all at once in this Sinister Six kind of formation. The first Sinister Six appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number one and that was Doc Ock, Vulture, Electro, Craven the Hunter, Mysterio and Sandman. You know, Nerd of Mouth's own Mike Lawrence, I think at one point recently put a thing up being like Spider-Man's rogues gallery is better than Batman's. Fight me, you know, whatever. And he had like all the action figures up on a desk and I'm like you know what yeah dude I think maybe I mean I know like Joker kind of trumps everything but like that's a I love these villains like I just do they're they're all pretty like uh, on their face one dimension two dimensional whatever but like there is they are in there like Dr. Octopus has a lot of depth to him yeah Um, for sure Electro is like kind of the is is pretty good I mean uh, Green Goblin Yes. Like with the personal connection, yes. is like it has layers to it, and that seems to be Ditko's uh, decision, I believe. There, no, um, famous. Okay, so, uh, so we're talking about this legendary run. Um, you know, it's doing well. Uh, Steve Ditko is doing great things. No one else's art has the same like kind of. Uh, it's like oddly constrained yet also dynamic at the same time. He's a very talented visual storyteller. Um, but like he, he keeps butting heads with Stanley. So like uh, one of the things is they disagreed about whether the Green Goblin was going to be some random guy or uh, a character from the cast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Steve Ditko believed that like, well, what is a criminal? Like, you know, every time a mass murderer is discovered, 
it's always just some guy. And isn't that terrifying? Doesn't that like reflect the right. chaos that is our world? Absolutely. And Stan Lee is like, you got no ear for drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excelsior, yeah. the big reveal. <laughs> and uh, so Stan Lee won that. And like people consider the like, re- you know, the dynamic between Norman Osborn, Harry Osborn and Peter Parker to be like uh, just an endless source of like of compelling drama in the yeah, series. Absolutely. Also, uh, another thing in this series is the run that Ditko would probably come to be most known for, and that is the If This Be My Destiny. Oh, my God. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man's numbers 31 through 33. Uh, First of all, we're introduced to Gwen Stacy and Harry Osborn, um, uh, but mainly this is uh, includes an acclaimed sequence in which Spider-Man lifts heavy se- uh, machinery off of himself, and it's stretched over several pages. Now, usually this would be something that would maybe be like a couple of panels. Yeah, the hero lifts the big heavy thing. And instead, it is this like unbelievable feat of strength done by this character who's completely just... On the at the end of his rope, thinking about all of the people he'd be failing if he doesn't lift this machinery and get out of this. And I love that this is the most memorable thing. It's not some big crazy battle like we had with Thor and the big snake. It's not like this, you know. It's this simple moment. It's a small moment in a lot of ways, you know. And it and it's but but made to be this powerful, powerful grand gesture. This is the uh, you know the large piece of industrial machinery with the water dripping all over Spider Man. There's been a million homages. In literally every Spider-Man movie, they basically just have to do a a, a kind of a riff on this. Uh, in Spider-Man Homecoming, he lifts like the building wreckage off of himself. Um, one of the most amazing things that this sequence does is uh, Steve Ditko uh, traditionally worked in a, a nine-panel grid format, kind of like Watchmen, and it was very confined. But as the sequence goes on, as Spider-Man like begins to like gain strength and gain momentum and rise up the panels get like bigger and wider and wider until finally it ends with this triumphant splash page and like kind of using the panels in this kind of like cinematic way was like a huge leap forward for comic books. Yes. I'm, I'm getting like nerd drool just talking about it. <laughs> Comics historian Les Daniels noted that Steve Ditko squeezes every ounce of anguish out of Spider-Man's predicament, complete with visions of the uncle he failed and the aunt he has sworn to save. It is anyone can win. Oh, I loved this quote from the actual, mm-hmm. uh, if this be my destiny, anyone can win a fight when the odds are easy. It's when the going's tough, when there seems to be no chance that's when it counts. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um, so Ditka and Lee, as we mentioned, had a growing tension kind of always. From some one quote that I saw, like, they, oh, oh, it was uh, the successor artist, John Romita Sr., who we'll be talking about next. He said that they ended up not being able to work together because they disagreed on almost everything. Mm-hmm. Cultural, social, historically, everything. They disagreed on characters. A famous example uh, is... Uh, this is anecdotal, but the idea that, you know, uh, Steve Ditko would write out the script and Spider-Man would be swinging over a group of like hippies protesting and he'd have Spider-Man yell like, like, get a load of those filthy hippies, get a job. And then like Stan Lee would come by, erase that and just go like, way to go, kids. Spidey's on your side <laughs> because uh, Stan Lee was like a very swinging, socially progressive guy. And I think it ha- a lot of that has to do with um, their upbringing. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, uh, Ditko came from a more rural, yeah, kind of serious Protestant upbringing. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what his, his religion was, but, you know, he came from sterner mining town folk. Right. And, you know, uh, 
Stan Lee was like already getting jobs scamming his way into movie theaters in like the Lower East Side. Uh-huh. And so the the poli- the politics there uh dra- were drastically different. So Ditko's got to go. He uh he and they weren't even speaking together mm-hmm. long before Ditko finishes uh Amazing Spider-Man number 38, which is his last issue in 1966 and in comes John Romita oh. Sr. to replace. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a final word on Ditko, because I think it's a fascinating story. Uh, he always demanded like credit. He would always spar with Lee. Uh, we talked about before about who deserves credit and like if he was treated equitably. Um, he has like never bought into like the fan circuit. He refuses to have pictures taken. He's a very private and reclusive guy. Uh, he would find like uh, different publishers to like carry his work because he's Steve Ditko, the guy who co-created Spider-Man. Like the guy just has to like make money. But his creations, like the question for Carlton Comics, Charlton Carlton, whatever uh, comics, and Mister A, which was this like bonkers, like objectivist, like conservative fantasy of a guy that would just like hunt down criminals and like would always carry a card that was half black, half white, and just go like. The evil is evil and good is good and if there is no gray area like he kind of became this reclusive outsider figure hmm. while uh in this while this whole like over the same decades spider-man just got bigger and more successful than even when he was involved Kukuka crossover yeah alan moore wrote a song about steve ditka wow and helped uh, perform it in one of his many side bands that's amazing and uh this is mr a by uh the emperors of ice cream awesome. headed by alan moore uh making can you play this song i don't know if you can make out the lyrics so like listen carefully this is just the intro I like it. Sister A by Velvet Underground. <laughs> oh, shoot. There's a video of Alan Moore actually reciting the song himself. Oh, wow. Um, it was a, the, the main chorus was a shameless ripoff of Sister Right <laughs> by the Velvet Underground. Um, but the verses, I, I thought they were, they were quite memorable. Would you like me to I just like his voice. A performance, Come Jonathan. On, let's have this. this is gold. He had one room above a thrift store. He had a trunk of books by Ayn Rand. He was short-sighted and reclusive, resisting pleas to take his photograph. He drew a superhero comic. He saw the world in terms of black and white. He said a day's work for a day's pay. That is our one and only right. He takes a card and shades one half of it in dark so he can demonstrate to you just what he means. He says there's black and there is white and there is wrong and there is right and there is nothing. 
nothing in between. That's what Mr. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, the character of Rorschach in Watchmen was blatantly inspired by uh, the question in ah. Mr. A. They're dressed exactly alike, and very the Rorschach's cool. face is all black and white. That's very cool. And one final, final fact about Steve Ditko. He at one point lived with fetish artist Eric Stanton. Whoa, he lived with the fetish artist Eric Stanton? <laughs> yeah. My grandpa used to jerk off to Eric Stanton's drawings. <laughs> My grandfather used to jerk off to Eric Stanton. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's. John Ramita Sr. If my family is listening, you know which grandfather. <laughs> John Ramita Sr., born and raised in Brooklyn in 1930, went to Manhattan School of Industrial Art in 1947, got his start on Famous Funnies in 1949 while working at Forbes Lithograph for $30 a week. And then he got a uh, gig from a friend as a ghost artist for around $17 a page. He said, I thought this is ridiculous. In two pages, I can make more money than I usually make all week. So I ghosted it and then kept on ghosting for him, Ramita. <laughs> recalled uh he didn't have a southern accent though he was very italian uh what what he uh he was doing stuff for timely comics his ghosting work and that would eventually become marvel comics which is how he met stanley and of course kind of like old ditko he gets drafted to the u.s army in 1951 but he lucks out he ends up getting a sweet gig for the army doing layouts for recruitment posters so he's even allowed to live in brooklyn in an apartment so um at one point like stan lee was also in the artist corps he was writing like rah-rah patriotic plays yeah yeah totally so yeah he was totally at a cushy uh uh, war, war gig. Um, and at one point, he goes uptown. I'll say it in his, this is his quote. I went uptown for uh, one day for lunch. I stopped over at Stanley's office uh, in the Empire State Building. Uh, and his secretary came out and I said, Stan doesn't know my name, but I've worked for him for over a year. I was in uniform. She must have told him this GI wants to do some comics. She said, Stan said, here's a four page science fiction story. I penciled it and struggled with my first inking. That was the first story I did on my own. I did westerns and war stories then. And uh, he uh, got to work on Captain America for a stint. That was his first thing. And also did work for DC doing romance novels. You know, it's fascinating how much these people jump between DC and Marvel. Mm -hmm. And they usually have like a fake name at one of the places so that they can conceal the fact that uh, to the other place that they're doing gigs for. for I mean, for a while it was, they were, the two publishers were literally across the street from each other. Oh, wow. And like an artist, I mean, I think this anecdote. Photo, but literally was like, fuck you, I'm out. Walk across the street and go like, what do you need? <laughs> That's amazing. So uh, he, he he back at Marvel, he's doing some freelance work on Avengers. He did uh, Avengers number 23 in 1965. And uh, he almost gets this job. He gets the or he does get a job offer from a big time ad agency. They offer him a bunch of bunch of stupid money that he can't refuse. So he has lunch with Stanley one day and Stanley matches the offer. Uh, he offers him great work. He matches the advertising job offer. It lets him work from home, all the fancy stuff. And he does work on Daredevil. He did a two-part story with uh, Spider-Man as a guest. And I think that Stan Lee gave it to him as a way to sort of test him out to see if he could be the next guy to handle Spider-Man as he knows for a fact that he's going to need to get a replacement for Ditko pretty soon since, since they do not like each other. Uh, uh, Romano, right? Romita. Romano. 
What am I doing? Deborah, the Spider-Man. Oh, <laughs> oh Deborah. Everybody loves John Romita Sr. Says in a quote, I was hoping against it, believe it or not. People laugh when I say this, but I did not want to do Spider-Man. I wanted to stay on Daredevil. The only reason why I did Spider-Man was because Stan asked me and I felt that I should help out like a good soldier. I never really felt comfortable on Spider-Man for years. I felt obliged to do what Ditka did, to, to mimic Ditka, because I was convinced in my own mind that he was going to come back in two or three issues. I couldn't believe that a guy would walk away from a successful book that was the second highest seller at Marvel. Yes, at that time, by the way, this is a side uh, comment for me. Uh, Fantastic Four is still number one, but Spider-Man very quickly becomes number two on the charts for them. Uh, After six months, when I realized it wasn't temporary, I finally stopped trying to mimic Ditko. I was doing these Are you nine- saying Ditka or Ditko? Ditko. But okay. Ditka, you know, it's hard to not say Ditko when I'm talking about Ditko. <laughs> I was afraid these nine... So am I saying Ray Romano and then... Ray Romano and, then, and, and Mike, Ditka, Mike Ditka. Two legends of the comic, of the comic industry. <laughs> I was doing these nine panel pages and the thin line, and I was doing Peter Parker without any bone structure, just like Ditko was doing, I thought. So he he's the one who comes in and starts to kind of... He's, Finally starts to change Spider-Man to make him his own by this point. Um, and he also introduced us to Mary Jane Watson for the first time, brought her from behind the potted plant. Now, why was her face hidden for so long? Do you know that? I think it was just going to be a big reveal. Like, there's, here comes the cool new character. I'm not sure why exactly that happened. Well, she first appears in Amazing Spider-Man number 42, and on top of that, you know, it's interesting all the stuff that you said about their political beliefs and everything, because man, I think Romita and Stan Lee really were on the same page with each other, because the the comic starts getting a lot more topical. They start talking about the Vietnam War, student activism, and again, this is just propelling that uh, connection that the readers are having with this great character. Yeah. To the point where even I was, I didn't write this fact down, but some college campus like voted them among like the most uh, prolific sort of um, figures in uh, pop culture that they look up to at that point. Uh, you know, like Spider Man or Stanley? Spider Man. And- oh. Yeah, that they really looked up to him, like the students on this college campus, like because he was, you know, um, just really standing for some real stuff that they could connect with. I mean, the melodrama was still there. There were still like, you know, big twists and big reveals, but uh, they kind of softened Spider-Man's kind of uh, weird energy that Ditko had brought to them. Yeah. Peter Parker kind of filled out a little. He kind of like got a little more handsome. Uh, It wasn't just Gwen Stacy, but they introduced Mary Jane for like this this Betty and Veronica dynamic. You know, he had like issues. It wasn't that girls didn't like him now. It was like now he had to like figure out how to manage more than one love interest. And uh, he was in college. He, uh, you know, uh, he just interacted more with his uh, supporting cast. And the supporting cast helped carry stories as well. Whereas during the Ditko run, it, like it was basically just a bunch of kids and a Studebaker would run up, call him a queer mo, and drive off. Uh huh. Do we talk about the old timey insult of the 1960s? <laughs> Do we talk about um, how the comics code got changed because of Spider-Man? I think we mentioned we it mentioned in the, in the Stanley, Stanley episode. episode. So I'll just briefly gloss over it that the Nixon administration wanted Stanley to include an anti-drug message in Spider-Man, so they had Harry Osborn having a pill addiction. Well, the Comics Code Authority uh, forbade it and, and forbade the issue to run because they weren't allowed to have drugs in any comic at that time, no, whether it was in a good or bad light. Well, Marvel just published it anyways, which mm-hmm. is pretty ballsy, and the run was so popular and so successful, the Comic Books Authority 
Authority had to, I mean, we have the president behind the damn thing. I think you can got it back down a little bit. So they changed the comics code because of Spider-Man. It's unbelievable. But let's talk about Gwen Stacy getting her whole fucking bullshit blown out. And oh, destroyed. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing I love better than fridging a, a perfectly, perfectly good character. Um, what <laughs> always got me is that, uh, you know, I, we were, I was reading comics in the 90s. And they kept building up this character, like in all the trading cards and all the magazines. It was like the death of Gwen Stacy. And I was like, I've never heard of this headband weirdo. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was, you know, I, I just had no connection to it. Even when they did it in Amazing Spider-Man uh, the movie, I was just like, OK. <laughs> you know, uh, there was the added drama with her dad being the police captain. But uh, I think most importantly is just like in this universe where there's just like rhino men and like all this psycho nonsense and Spider-Man's yeah. running around. And when you're reading it initially as a kid, you're not really reading the, like if, as a little kid, like I was, like I wasn't reading it for the, you know, so, social yeah. like uh, side of it, the, the, the home life side of it. I was reading it for the kooky fights. I mean, yeah. I was like trying to find the craziest, you know, battle stuff, not really anything that uh, had to do with anything like sincere yeah, Spider-Man kind of does turn into a soap opera every now and again when yes. the cast gets big enough. Mm-hmm. Um, then they have to. Then it gets too complicated, and they always do like a fresh start. Now he's a different. Now he's now he's doing this. Now back to basics. Um, so uh, it, what I love about the Gwen Stacy getting killed thing is it was. What do you b- love about Gwen Stacy getting killed? Uh, that it's a dead woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wizard and the Bruiser. Male demographic and the majority. (laughs) Love our female listeners, and I want all of them to live happy, long lives. (laughs) And I apologize for the statements that I've made, and I will, in 2020, I will be running for president. Dead women. (laughs) All right, so, Quince, no, what I love about it was that Lee, like, Stan Lee... The decision was really made by Ramita and who else? It was by it was by a, a, a other people. And Stan Lee was like too busy planning his vacation <laughs> that when they came to him, we're like, eh, I think we're gonna kill off this major character in in this comic book, which has like never been done before. I but mean, they killing, did it with Uncle Ben. Like, but that's killing, how serious death is in this universe. Killing off like a love interest yeah. is like never happens in comics. And he was just like, yeah, 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 sure, I gotta go on this trip. And uh, here's a quote from him: I was just getting ready to go to Europe on some sort of a business trip. I, I'm uh, to meet some. To discuss something about Marvel. Why did that? In, why did that need to be included in this stand? And I think I wasn't thinking too clearly because when they said we'd like to kill Gwen Stacy. I said, well, if that's what you want to do, okay. All I wanted to do was get them out of the office so I could finish packing and get out of there. And then when I came back and found that Gwen had been killed, I thought, why would they do that? Why would they? Why would Jerry write anything like that? It was a Jerry. Jerry with a G. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Jerry and, Conway. Jerry Conway. And I had to be to be reminded later on that I had perhaps reluctantly or perhaps carelessly said, okay, when they asked me, can you imagine like having such a prolific change uh, to your, to your like a creative entity because you were just like busy and just, you know, <laughs> like, like the kind of shit that you just say yes to somebody because you're uh-huh. just not even thinking. That, that's something that big was a, uh, uh-huh, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Are you sure? I th- we're going to try and kill Veronica in the next issue of Archie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got a plan to catch. So Romita ends up kind of at the, okay. Now we're moving into the. You know, you know what I always hate about the death of Gwen Stacy? What is that? It's not. It's not that Spider-Man catches her, but I, the sudden snap yes. of her neck when he yes. catches her is what's like the issue. So it kills her. Yeah, but like, but she would have died if he hadn't caught her. Caught her. She would have died either way. Right, but like. 
now, even as a kid, it just pissed me like, oh, now we care about neck dynamics <laughs> now in we care about superhero book? Like the physics of, yeah, you would have killed like a million people. You would have killed a million people. And how is Green Goblin on his glider? And how does any of this work right, right. if we're just snapping necks now? <laughs> and that That's is what I sounded like at age 11. At Thanksgiving, which <laughs> is just not the time. A lot of family reunion jokes going on today. Um. Anywho, Romita ends up getting promoted to art director in July 1973, like of Marvel. Um, and through the 80s, he helped create the Punisher, Wolverine, Luke Cage, Bullseye. And, and now we get into a different kind of world with Spider-Man. Spider-Man in the 70s mm-hmm. and on into the 80s is, is being handled by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's being passed around a lot. And we get spin-offs. <laughs> spin-offs? Spin-offs. Marvel Team Up, 1972. This is reminds me. Okay, Marvel Team Up reminds me of um, like wrestling a, a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about trying to like get exposure to the littler guys or sort of like construct ways for. It's kind of like Monday Night Raw is like maybe Amazing Spider Man, right? Mm-hmm. Well, like this is like SmackDown, right? This is like a way. It, it's like it's like a training ground for the big show, essentially, where they would kind of. What essentially what it was was for the most part, it was always Spider Man teaming up with a different superhero to like take down a bad guy in a single issue. It was very just kind of there as a proving ground uh, for other characters, as a way to just kind of put characters together to introduce fans to different characters and things like that and Spider-Man was generally the one to be in the Marvel team up with the other character because he would be the one that they could kind of be like oh cool it's Spider-Man with whoever and that'll give them a good idea of who this other character is and so um, yeah he could really kind of get people up you know he was like the face (laughs) that could like put put, you know you put this big face in a tag team or something like that to get this other person up you know um, get him over. Get is, him over is yeah. the wrestling term. Get him over, rather. Uh, so yeah, you've got that. That starts in 1972. You've got the spectacular Spider-Man in 1976. I think it was originally. Well, it said it was uh, originally published as an experiment in, in entering the black and white comic market. Led to another Spider-Man regular issue, which was launched by Jerry Conway. So I guess he went off and took over that with Sal Bushima, who worked on Incredible Hulk, and Mike Esposito worked on Wonder Woman, among other things. So Conway says that uh, Spectacular Spider-Man was in response to the fact that I. I had a deal to script several ongoing series for Marvel at the time. Stanley wanted me back on Spider-Man in particular, but I didn't want to take Amazing Spider-Man from Lynn Wine. It was by this time the regular writer, so Stan saw it as an opportunity to launch a second Spider-Man title, which was something he'd wanted to do for a while. Um, the full original title was Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. I think they were going to focus more on the social aspects of Peter Parker's life in this comic book. Um more specifically and that's sort of like what that was for we also have uh giant size spider-man which ran for a very short time and spidey super stories which was for kids as opposed to those other spider-man stories which were for cool 40 year old married well women. they were for like teens and college kids it's true yeah i guess so it's true it was, i mean at the time well remember i mean think about it this way the flintstones used to be like the simpsons mm-hmm. so of course spider-man seems really childish now but i mean back in the day it was for an older audience for sure jake if that is your real name so in the 80s they needed to so we're gonna wrap it up with uh with just a, a story of a costume we are yeah we didn't talk about this yeah no because in the 80s, uh, 
Marvel and Mattel were doing a collaboration called Secret Wars, where they were trying to compete with DC's superpower action figure line. And the idea was, uh, we're going to make a line of Marvel toys, but you have to like make a, a mini-series to help us promote it. And uh, during that mini-series, Spider-Man got a black costume. Yes. And that was cool. Yeah. Except people didn't really like it that much. Yeah. The way Secret Wars was handled, though, was that uh, characters would just kind of blip out in their own individual books and then come back the next issue. And the Secret Wars miniseries would concurrently explain what happened in that time skip. Mm. So Spider-Man came back from Secret Wars with a cool new black costume. And that costume was, uh, in theory, created by a fan from a contest called Randy Schuler who uh. sold the rights to that costume for like a couple hundred bucks. And uh, they were working with him to try and like get to write a story about it. And apparently Randy Schuler was terrible and they could not get like a functional narrative out of him. Um, and people hated the black costume. They just did not. They, they just were like, it's different. It's weird. You know, he shoots the webs from his fist instead of like doing the thwip finger motion. Uh, it's, it has all these like, you know, he's like stealthy. It's, it's not, you know, it's not the big red, you know, it's, it's different. It's bad. Um, they explain in the secret wars that it's like a mysterious goopy thing It's an alien. It's no, okay. He gets it in secret wars and like they explain it by the time secret wars is over. People had like voted that they hated the red and like red, they hated the black costume and they wanted the old costume back. So the writers had to figure out a way to get rid of this thing that they had kind of just made as like a weird contest one off thing. And uh, the answer they came up with was oh, uh, because Secret Wars took place on an alien planet, the costume wasn't just a costume, it was an alien symbiote. Yes. And, Weird. Uh, using uh, always confuse like this whole stuff. And Jake, you're gonna have to yeah. help me with this. This always confused. Oh, I explained it very poorly. No, 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 you explained it well. This confused the piss out of just everything that happens after this too, with Venom and everything. It confused me so much. But I thought it would like everything Venom involving the black costume and Venom was just a series of ass pull after ass pull <laughs> after ass pull. And the result was one of the most memorable and iconic Spider-Man villains of all time yeah. who completely changed not only Spider-Man, but like basically the trajectory of comics as we knew it. Yeah, and I guess we'll be getting into that more in the next episode. With the hiring of a little guy you might have heard of named Todd motherfucking McFarlane. Yes, Todd McFarlane. c fuck you crossover. <laughs> Todd McFarlane. Oh, we're out of steam. We're out yeah. of steam, man. <laughs> This was a. This is such a big one. I mean, little facts just to mention. I'm, and the '80s, like, just seem kind of like um, it's just constantly passed between hands. We get the introduction of the Hobgoblin. Um, we we get a lot of different writers working on stuff. There is a really special uh, uh, issue. The wedding. There's uh, Mary Jane and Peter Parker get married. The kid who collects Spider Man is an important issue, which is about a child battling with cancer, and Spider Man comes to visit him, and it's almost like a Spider Man clip show mixed in with this really heartfelt message about an, uh, a kid uh, dying of cancer. Um, and yes, and then you explain. Thank you for that expl explanation of Spider Man's black costume because I didn't even have that 
on me. Um, and that is pretty much like what happens from of, with Spider-Man from the 60s through the 80s, minus any kind of TV show or anything like that, which we'll get into in part two. And yeah, in uh, 1990, Spider-Man launches with the storyline called Torment, written and drawn. Of course, it's called Torment, yeah, yeah, by yeah. the way. Written and drawn by Todd McFarlane with several different covers. There were all different collectibles, and it sells over three million copies. And that cover is so iconic. Look it up right now. You will absolutely remember it. Is that it. the one where he's like all hunched over yep. and like With covered in web. webby webs? Yep. It is such it is webby webs. such an iconic. It, no, no, okay. Spider Man shoots webs. Tom McFarlane draws webby webs. That's the difference, Super Producer Megan, who gave me a weird look when I just calmly explained the term Wibby Web. <laughs> so thank you for joining us for part one. I, I can't wait to get back to this and do part two. I wish we could do it right now, but oh no, the time. We got to go. Oh no. Mm-hmm. We have to go. <laughs> I'm definitely not passing out where I sit because both of us are like more slammed than we've ever been in the past what year. What is going on this month? What is happening? It's, that's just September, isn't it? It's like right before the holidays. It's like whatever. Could it just cool down outside? We don't need to tell you people about our personal life. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Holden Nader's Ho on Twitch. You can follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young. And um, I think you can find Eric Stanton with a simple Google search. You'll see all of his filthy, wonderful bondage uh, pictures, which would be great for you on a Saturday night or a Sunday night or a Monday night or a Tuesday night. Really, any night is good. I found this week Googling Eric Stanton. So. I feel like I know it's going to be on the Facebook group when this episode drops. I know. It's just going to be nothing but, and as Spider-Man was cool, and it just filthy bondage uh, drawings. But right. here's the thing. You say filthy, but it's like almost cool. Quaint now. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very cute. It's very. It's like sweet. a cuneiform tablet. It's just so old. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry about all the stuff we said about uh, dead women. And uh, <laughs> have a good one. Hop, hop, hooray! Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just thirty dollars. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.